Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer Yepes Blundell and welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast, a community dedicated to helping young brands succeed by offering opportunities to shine and access to resources. Okay, what if I told you there's a sweet icing dip made from plant protein powder and it's actually good? Well, believe me, it's delicious. And today I'm talking to Emily Edwards, founder of Paradise Icing. She's a former social worker turned food entrepreneur. Her story is one of health struggles, perseverance, and a whole lot of optimism. Listen in as we chat on how she's building a brand that's tastefully wholesome. Hi, Emily. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I want to know everything about you because I absolutely love your product. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your product. Okay. Well, of course, my name is Emily Edwards, and I'm the founder of Emily's Foods. And my product is Paradise Icing and Paradise Snack Packs. And Paradise Icing is a sweet plant-based icing that contains pea protein powder. And the snack packs contains Paradise Icing on one side and grain-free pretzels on the other side. Now, a little bit about me. I'm a former social worker, was in private practice for about 15 years. In 2018, I really started to get burned out, but still wanted to help people um, and just was kind of not really, really couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And bacon and playing around the kitchen has always been ingrained in my DNA from a child. I um, I told you earlier that I grew up in Mississippi, so my mom always tinkered around in the kitchen. I spent a lot of time with my maternal grandmother who also did baking and cooking in the kitchen. And so I always did it for years, but it was just joy. It was just a joy for me. And I would just do it and give the food away. And people would always say, well, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you make something and sell it? But, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is that people have an intimate relationship with food. So I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do. So fast forward to 2015, I was going through a divorce. I was overweight and really depressed at that time. And so I needed a snack for myself that uh, didn't contain a lot of sugar and, um, you know, all of those ingredients that you couldn't pronounce. So I started making um, muffins 100 calories or less, And I, but I was using whey protein powder. Then I decided... I wanted to make a topping for the frosting or icing or something that would go on it. So at that point, I started playing around with um, plant protein powders. And, you know, my first initial test in the kitchen, I was like, nobody's going to eat this because honestly, it really did taste like dirt. And the reason why I can say that, because as a kid growing up in Mississippi, I, you know, I ate dirt. You didn't know dirt. You just ate the dirt. And so I thought, I'm never going to get this right. So finally, I got a uh, workable recipe in my kitchen. And then in 2018, I spent a year beginning in May of 2018. I spent a little bit over a year and a half down at Purdue Food Science Lab in Lafayette, Indiana, in research and product development. And um, that was the beginning of Paradise Icing. So that is so interesting, Emily. How did you, you know, you went from a social worker to being in the Purdue Food Lab. What was that experience? Did you have connections there or you just knew that was a resource that you needed to take your product to the next level? No, I, um, when I first started working on this product, uh, just, you know, being in social work, you learn to research and ask questions and so I started asking questions about, you know, I started researching online about how do you 
how do you develop a product, product development, what's all in it? Because, you know, when you go into the grocery store, you don't, you see the product, you don't think about the process, you just see the product and you think, okay, I'll buy this, I'll try it out. Well, now I'm on the back end of it. I'm in the, the uh, research and development part of it. So I had taken this culinary business incubator class in uh, 2017. And so the lady there, Melinda Johnson, and then it was taught by Juan Saldana and Javier Haro. They taught it uh, under their company called Food Hero. And so when I started looking around, I realized I needed a food scientist. So when I would say that to people that really didn't understand food and the process of how food is done, they were looking at me like a food scientist. They thought I had like literally lost my mind. And I didn't really know where to look because I was going into unknown territory. So I reached out to Melinda and she had developed a contact uh, with um, the food science department and at Purdue. So she sent the guy an email and connected me in the email. And from there, I went down and actually met the guy and uh, took a tour of the campus and the food science lab. And I thought, this is fascinating, <laughs> you know, just seeing it because they had a sensory lab and they had all this cool stuff. So it literally looked like a manufacturing plant. It's called the Pi Skidmore Pilot Plant. And I thought, wow, this is cool. So then I scheduled my time to go back and that's where I started from. But honestly, Jennifer, from the beginning, they would say, because I didn't understand the language. Like I understood the language of mental health and you know social work. I understood that language. But I didn't understand the language of the food industry, the food and beverage industry. So they would say stuff, words to me. And I'd be like, what is that? And so I would like, you know how little kids, they'll say a word and you'll tell them to sound it out. So that's like literally what I would do. I would sound the word out. And uh, once I would sound it out, I would try to write it down. And then I would come home and look it up and try to garner research from it. And so that's kind of where, that was my experience that I would, I was like, to me, it was like going back to school because I didn't know anything. And so I was literally like a sponge. Everything they would say to me, I would just absorb it. I would take notes. I would come home. I would look at my notes. I would be up at night reading and researching until I just started. Finally, the pieces of the puzzle started to come together for me so that I had a better understanding of what I was doing and why I was doing it. Well, you seem just to have a very can-do attitude, but I'm sure there was moments where you were very intimidated. Did you have anyone that you could turn to as a mentor to guide you through, or you were just going at this alone? Well, I had formed a relationship with the gentleman I told you about from Food Hero, and then I was in the commercial kitchen. Uh, Gina, who owns the, Nana Claire's the uh, commercial kitchen in Valparaiso, Indiana, which is where I currently do my production at. I had relationships with them. So I would ask them and Juan, who was a foodie and they also own, you know, food hero. And so I would ask them questions and pick their brains. And then I started going to events in Chicago. I went to the IFT event, you know, I spent, I was like fascinated because all these, this food was there and, you know, all these different people and manufacturers and, and so I just started asking a bunch of questions and, you know, I would tell people, I would literally say, listen here, I don't have a clue of what I'm doing. So if I ask you a question, if it sounds stupid, just bear with me. And people would just start talking to me. I was so transparent. 
you know, I just felt like one of the tools from being a social worker is that you have to meet people where they are. But in order for people to do that to for you, you have to be honest with people. I absolutely love that, Emily. That makes so much sense. That transparency, that honesty. And that's a great way to speak to your consumers, right? And your potential customers is that honesty in your brand story. And I think that really comes through with your personality as a founder and your product as well. You know, let's talk about capital and funding and finding those connections. You know, despite the stats that show Black women are starting businesses at the fastest rate than any other racial group, but less than 1% of, you know, VC funding supports women of color. What's been your route? What's been your strategy? What advice can you give to those women founders or those founders from underrepresented groups? Well... You know, it is difficult. And um, I really, really don't like to um, focus on the color of my skin. I really like, as Martin Luther King talked about the, the his character, that's what I really want people to see me for, my character, not so much as the color of my skin. I am a Black woman, and I'm very happy to be a Black woman. But I also try to see people from the inside, what's in your heart, what what type of person are you? from the inside? What's your character? What is your conduct? You know, those things matter to me more than the color of your skin. And so for me, you know, this is the, these are things that I've gotten when um, t- I've talked to venture capitalists or angel investors is that you're too early. Am I working on improving that? Absolutely. But I always get you're too early. So I've had to bootstrap my business myself. Has it been frustrating? Absolutely. I, you know, I've won a couple of pitch competitions and I've gotten some grants and different things. Am I grateful for that? Absolutely. But it's very frustrating when you continue to, um, I call it hemorrhaging uh, your own money and you know you can't seem to gain the traction that you need. And so for me, it's not so much about the money, but give me a clear path of how to get there. Let me do the work. I don't want any handouts. That's how I was raised. You do the work, you earn what you, you know, you do the work and whatever you earn, that's what you've worked for. And so do I, do I need money? Absolutely. But do I just want a handout? Absolutely not. I am so willing to do that work. And so what I would say to, to black women is that as black women, we definitely need to be more together and we're willing to help each other. But I would also say don't exclude other races because you're better with you're better together and you're better with the help of others regardless of their skin color. I'm curious. You mentioned there's some connections on how you approach social work and how you are uh, producing your product. T- dig into that a little bit more for me. Well, you're still dealing with people. So regardless of if I'm in product development or if I'm going to an event, it's socialization. You're still dealing with individuals and everyone has their own personality. And I can remember when I first went to grad school for social work, one of the first things the instructor said to us is that most of the time when you meet people, you're meeting their representative. So you don't get to know people until you really start to spend time with them and listen. And most of the time people don't listen because they want to get their point across. And so what I learned to do 
for me, the skills that I took was reflective listening. And then when someone would say something to me, I would repeat it back to them for clarity to make sure that I'm understanding exactly what you're saying. And so that was one of the tools that I would always use with my clients when I would explain something to them. And if they didn't understand it, it became my job to put it in layman's terms that they could understand what I'm saying, because I can't help you if you don't understand me. And so that's one of the tools that I've taken. Um, Food is a people have an intimate relationship with food. I like what I like. If I want sugar, that's what I want. It doesn't matter what the doctor or anyone else has said to me or what researchers said, this is what I want. And so I had to learn how to really start listening and honing in on what the consumer is saying. Also keeping in mind that it's a product. And so even though I'm taking into consideration what the consumer is saying, I still have to be open enough to know that this is the product and this is where it needs to go. So I can't keep jumping through hoops I got to take enough of that data to make it a viable product that people will want to buy it. But I also have to stay open enough and flexible enough that I don't keep jumping through the hoops that I got a product that nobody wants, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And for your consumer, for your customer that you have in mind for Paradise Icings, are you going after those folks who already eat healthy, who are making those choices, who have the allergens, who can't eat off the shelf. Um, are you trying to change minds a little bit? Are you trying to say, listen, this icing is just as good as the sugar-filled, you know, the stuff that you get off the grocery store shelf? That has actually been my um, message a lot of times that, you know, my my target customer is that millennial mother who wants a convenient snack, natural. So that's my target customer. But I've found that a lot of people that are diabetics, like my sister-in-law is a diabetic and she orders three jars a month for me because she can eat that and her blood sugar doesn't spike. And then I found people that are naysayers and say, I don't want that as healthy. And, you know, they turn up their nose at it. But then once they taste it, once it hits the palate, they're like, oh, this is really good. And so then you have those consumers. So honestly, I try to listen to everyone. Every every person that I have a conversation with is a potential customer. I think it's about education. When we don't understand something and we don't know something, we tend to shy away from it. But if I can listen enough to you and talk to you enough about it, I think once you try it, you will like it and you'll see the benefits of it. How do you approach that product innovation? What is your what is your thought process, right? You're you you're doing reflective listening. You're taking your customers' feedback into consideration. But at the end of the day, as a founder, you're the one making those innovation decisions. So, would love to hear a little bit about your process there. Uh, absolutely, I told you earlier. I'm a researcher by trade, so I do a lot of research. Uh, I read all the time, so I'm looking for what's trending. And you know, one of the things that During the pandemic, consumer behaviors did change a lot. It became more of comfort food. But then, you know, when we couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't go to the gyms then, and as people started to get sick, you know, vitamin D, uh, vitamin B, vitamin C, all of those were popping up. And so when I started to look at my product, I thought, you know, what are some of the health benefits of it? You got the pea protein in it and it's got a complete, it's as closest to the whey protein as you're going to get for the amino acid profile, you got the fiber in there. You can still satisfy your sweet tooth without 
ruining your waistline. And so I started to think about all of that. It didn't require refrigeration. So if you're going to be hanging out, going camping, or whatever you and your family was doing during this pandemic, that my product could go with you. It was just, even after you open it, you don't have to refrigerate it. So I started looking at all those benefits. And then I thought, you know, what else could this product do for people and how could I innovate it? So I thought, you know, everybody loves chocolate. That's like the number one flavor, basically. Um, People love vanilla. And then I started to hear this caramel. Then I started looking at the savory part, savory flavors, because I'm working on a smoked Gouda right now. And so when you start listening to people, we really are creatures of habit. Uh, when you think about it, even though food changes, you know, people come out with new products, but the ingredients are basically the same. There's no there's no product that has an ingredient ingredient in it that that's not already been here. So we just take those ingredients and make it into something else. So when you really, really think about it, you don't have to be so you don't have to make your product so difficult that people don't understand it, but you keep it simple. And so when you start to think about just as in general, like most people like chocolate. That's just kind of a given. Some people are allergic to chocolate or, you know, they can't tolerate it. But for the most part, people like chocolate. But how do I make this chocolate healthy without people knowing that it's healthy? So it's, it really comes down to psychology and understanding human behavior. Which you're a pro at. You've literally done that as a career. <laughs> I love that. So paradise icing is gluten-free, dairy-free, nut soy free. Was it hard for you to find that manufacturing facility that was free of all those allergens? No, I think, you know, again, that goes back to research, Google, using your resources. And so once you can do all of that, uh, it's not hard to find. It it takes some work because it's not easy. (laughs) Uh, So I just think the food industry is, it can be difficult, but you have to really just buckle down and say, you know what? Okay, today it didn't work out for me. I'm just going to get up and try again tomorrow. And the the harder you try and the more confidence that you have in yourself that you can succeed, I think eventually you will succeed in finding the facility or products or whatever you need to be successful. I think if you keep focused that you will find that. You have an e-commerce site as well as you're on the shelves at some boutique grocery stores. What are your goals there? Online versus retail? Are you looking for a mix? Like what is your dream situation? A mix. Definitely a mix. I'd like to do some food service, um, maybe have some contracts with some of the schools as well as maybe some of the military bases. So that is my goal to, to grow the line with at least six flavors. And then start adding some other product lines as we grow. And I love your point too about schools because, you know, I'm a mom. I'm I'm your target customer, Emily. I'm the millennial mom and I have two little girls. And, you know, when I need to send them to school with snacks, it does have to be nut-free. We have to be conscious of allergy. Um, It's shelf-stable. It really is an amazing product. What do you have coming down the pipe? You mentioned a Gouda flavor. A Gouda. I'm also working on strawberry. And I'm... Probably going to poll my audience (laughs) to figure out another flavor because I hadn't really thought of one yet that's kind of really resonated in my mind. I'm also in the process of rebranding the packaging. So that's coming down the line. We're going to update our website and just continue to try to grow the brand, finish building building out our team, definitely, because it's myself now and my co-founder, David Glenn, G-L-E-N-N. And so we have some contractors that work with us. But right now, 
We just want to continue to increase our footprint on a local, regional, and national level. So that is our goal for the rest of this year. Well, we are so lucky to have you in the community, Emily. You are just such a positive person. You have an amazing product. You know, you're not paying me to say this, but really, I just, we are obsessed with your product here in the household. I'm gluten-free, so the snack pack is perfect. Like you said, it's shelf-stable. I can throw it in my bag. I can give it to my kids when they need a little sweet treat, but I know it's better for them. Um, So keep up all the great work, Emily. Thank you for the opportunity, as well as thank Startup CPG. Uh, I've met some amazing people, particularly over on the Slack channel. So I've met some amazing people, and what I like about it is the community, but you can go over to Slack, ask a question, and people answer right away. The pitch competition, I got some really positive feedback from my product and some good pointers that I should do and have gotten some good relationships from that. So I'm just grateful for that. Thanks for joining us. Startup CPG is a national community. So come connect with thousands of brands and partners via our Slack channel. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jennifer Yepes Blundell, theme music by the Super Fantastics. We love hearing from you. Email us at podcast.startupcpg.com. And remember to leave a review, subscribe, or follow us wherever you're listening. See you next time.